Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. <laughs> Got that down to an art. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. Today on the show, Blake Topmeyer going to join us, new SEC columnist for the USA Today Network. Of course, he covered Missouri and Tennessee before that uh, for USA Today or Gannett, whatever you want to call it. And now he gets to cover the entire league. And so we had a lot of fun talking with him, Aaron, about sort of his new role, what he's looking forward to covering. We talked about Georgia. We talked about Missouri. We talked about Tennessee. We talked about LSU. We had a lot of fun with, with Blake. So that'll be a fun interview coming up a little bit later on in the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the Zoom virtual world of development of players at spring practice because the NFL right now is going through this weird OTA thing where none of the, none of the players are going to show up, but the game didn't suffer. Um, we'll kind of compare that to the SEC and the college football. Matt Miller, NFL draft scout. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit of audio from him as I asked him on another show, Lamestream Sports right here on the 440 Sports Network, about scouting the SEC players and what he makes of how does the NFL view the SEC? So you're going to hear that coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, and we're going to start today with these ridiculous rankings that ESPN put out through its silly FPI computer machine thing. And we're going to talk about that because you and I both, you used to work at Athlon Sports. I still technically work at Athlon Sports. And our rankings are going to be very different than ESPN's rankings. And we are actually in the middle of putting those together. So that's what's coming up on the show today. However, Fringe Element is brought to you by Jasper's. Jasper's Your friendly neighborhood sports bar with a with a class with extra class. Well done. Well done. With extra <laughs> class. I'd like some class on the side, please. With a dash of class. Uh, some the essence of class. A side of ranch and a bowl of class. I I love ranch. So I love my... ranch so much. And I'm gonna tell yeah, you this, and bad. I don't want to admit it, but you know how there's this like secret person that I'm talking to that I won't tell you who it is. Is it still I going shared... on? Yeah, I know. Whoa, it's... it's getting serious. Well, here's how you know that it might be taking the next step is because I don't share ranch. Like it's a rule. It's a thing. And we were at lunch the other day and she only brought us one ranch and I shared it with them. Why did you just ask for a second ranch? If you were at Jasper's, well, they would have given you like, two ranches. Until she, I know. Well, until she brought it back, I let him use mine. And I, uh, I don't know. It's a scary next step, I think. We will discuss more about this very soon. Yikes. Breaking news. Aaron Dugan off the market. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> I don't know, but the ranch is serious. So we'll see. Go, go to Jasper's where you never have to share your ranch. It's true. With any It's great about it. Ever. Avocado crema. Is that what it's called? I think so. Uh, ancho chili barbecue sauce on top of the sweet potato fries. Uh, really good stuff at Jasper's. So great parking, great menu, great place to watch the game, great happy hour, just all around greatness. So go to Jasper's. All right. So as someone who has made a living putting together preseason rankings in April and May, I find it borderline offensive that ESPN puts out its rankings in April and May preseason for the SEC and just totally screws it up. I have a question I have several questions for you about all of this, but since it's this top secret algorithm that we know some of it and maybe don't know all of it and we don't really know how it works, when it spits out Texas A&M, Georgia, and Mississippi State all in a row, if we don't really know how it works, wouldn't you just like flip-flop some stuff? You mean like... Like if I was working for ESPN and I was like, yeah, wouldn't you be like, oh, that seems weird. Let's just bump Mississippi State down a few because no one really gets it anyway. Right. Well, there's no evidence of like the actual like, you know, paper coming out of the machine. Right. Like, I don't know if it spits out a piece of paper with the answers on it or. Right. I'm assuming it doesn't. I'm assuming it's digital. Um, but, but number one in the nation was Alabama to what you just alluded to. Number six in the nation, Texas A&M. Number seven in the nation, Georgia. Number eight in the nation, not number eight in the SEC. Number eight in the nation, Mississippi State. <clears throat> That's right. That's what I said. Put your car back on the road. Uh, 14, Florida. 16, Auburn. 18, LSU. 22, Ole Miss. 29, Arkansas. 34, Missouri. 39, Kentucky. 48, Tennessee. 68, South Carolina. And 93rd, Vanderbilt. There is plenty on this list, Aaron, as I am putting the Athlon Sports Magazine together as we speak, that I agree with. 
there's a lot on this list that I disagree with, including what you just alluded to. Let's start at the very top, which you're already kind of shocked, not shocked because Texas A&M was really good last year and they will be really good this year. But the first thing that catches your eye is Texas A&M coming right at right in front of Georgia, because I still think that we're going to see Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship at the end of this year. But you could you could buy it. But then you get one more spot down and you're like, okay, wait, what's going on here? So besides Mississippi State, what was the biggest shock to you just at first glance without diving too deep? Uh, Number one, I would have Georgia ahead of A&M. And I actually think Georgia's closer to Bama than they are to A&M. I agree. So I'm very high on Georgia right now. And we'll talk a little bit about this with Blake a little bit later on. I really like Georgia this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I like A&M, so I don't think it's crazy. That To your point, like it's not crazy. Mississippi State at, at eighth in the nation is just shocking. I think it's a little – it's not like disrespectful to Florida. I think that's about where Florida's going to fall in most preseason rankings. I was interested that Auburn was ahead of LSU and Ole Miss. I think you could argue any of those three teams. I think Ole Miss, you could argue, could be the best of those three teams. I think LSU's got the most question marks of those teams, mm-hmm. but I, you know, they were all right there next to each other. So I don't really have a major problem with it, but Auburn at 16, I don't know. I think they're closer to like a seven and five, eight and four team. I don't know if they're a top 15 type of team. I think Kentucky and Missouri being behind Arkansas was very surprising. I was shocked about Kentucky because I think Kentucky's going to have a, this might be a, not a hot take, but I think this will be a, more of a breakout year for Kentucky than people are giving them credit for. I think they're going to, I think they're going to be really good, but I agree with you. I was not, I did not think that made sense. And y'all know how I feel about Sam Pittman, but I expected to see the Wildcats come in before the Razorbacks on this rundown. Yeah. It's just hard to look at anything past Mississippi state. Like I look at the list again and I'm just like, (laughs) Oh, this all kind of makes sense. Except for that one team that is ahead of Florida. Mississippi State is better than Florida. Like, come on, they're not. I'm buying into what I'm buying into. You know, year two, Mike Leach. Like, I'm buying into development. I like the defensive coordinator. There's things to like about Mississippi State. I think they're going to be better. But to call them the fourth best team in the SEC, a top ten team in the nation, and to have them ahead of Florida, Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, I, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's the order that's tripping it up. It's like Mississippi State throws off your belief in this entire thing, and then. LSU, they're they're a huge, huge question mark for me. And it's not just the intangibles of what's going on off the field. I just don't know where they're going to fall. I think they could totally go. They could firm it up, figure it out, and get past all the stuff going off the the field and not care because it happened before these players were there and just go on about their business. Or I feel like this could just crumble. Like coaches that are brand new that no one's ever heard of quarterback battle like in off the field distractions I, i'm with you there's a they still have tons of talent lsu's a giant question mark to me but yeah. but i'm okay with them being in the conversation again like for sure like i would have florida probably at four and i would say those top four bama georgia a&m and florida are sort of separate from everybody else mm-hmm. I, I would look at those four and then i would probably say then lsu right I think there's an argument to be made for the fifth best team in the league. And that would be Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, Missouri, Kentucky. It would not be Mississippi state. It would not be Mississippi state. They would be very, they would be the very next team probably in that group. And maybe they are closer to that tier than I'm giving them than I think they should be. And maybe I need to reevaluate that. But if I was debating like who should be fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the sec, it would be, Auburn, Ole Miss, LSU, Kentucky, Missouri, those five. Mm-hmm. And then I would probably slide in Mississippi State at number six in that group. Like kind of, you know, like I, I'm with you. I like Kentucky's stability in a year. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in a second. Like, I, I don't know. I think Missouri, you've got the coach with Drinkwitz and the quarterback with Basilak. With Kentucky, you've got the stability and the culture. With LSU, you've got the talent. With Auburn, you've got the new coach and the talent. With Ole Miss, you've got the offense. There's things to like about all these teams. I just don't, again, we're going right back to Mississippi State, which is hard not to do. But like, I just, I don't know. I just don't get it. I just don't think the bones are good enough there. I mean, I think there's potential, but I don't think it's anything like the Kentucky just has, is building off of something that's already so strong and anything. It's going to be like icing on the cake when they start putting together like big time plays on offense and can get the ball going in the air. But 
Um, I, yeah, I'm I'm confused by it. So the other question I had was when you sit down to do Athlon's list and you and Steven Lassen sit down and I guess among do y'all other people have other people weigh in? Or yeah, y'all kind prefer, of headed up? Uh, it's the, we are sort of the brain trust, but that we try to solicit advice. Yeah. So what does that process look like for people? We don't know how this magical ESPN algorithm, I'm shaking this paper around because I don't get it machine works but how does the athlon braden steven lassen machine work um it's a lot of going back and forth a lot of arguing a lot of research and and then a lot of like at the very end we go through each schedule and we actually award wins and losses to every team and based on sort of projections and then we kind of go back and look at it and it's it's an amalgamation of everything it's like all right i i trust Dan Mullen to develop a quarterback. They've recruited pretty well. You know, their schedule's not overly difficult. You, you take all these different factors and you just are, you're trying to guess at the most accurate picture you can. Certainly you get stuff wrong. There's no question. It's not nearly as data driven as, you know, a computer generated list, but I'd like to think that the human element and your eyeballs are like a good thing. Like the computer can't take into account what's going on at LSU, you know? Um, you can you tell? So that list isn't out yet. It doesn't come out until May. Yeah, magazines will be out magazine? May twenty fifth, and the list probably leaks a week before that or so, maybe. Um, but I mean, long story. It's just a process where we argue, we debate, we sort of slot in teams where we think they belong. We've had a we have a very we've had a very real heavy debate about who should be the champion in the SEC, like an actual oh. discussion about that. There's no discussion about who should be last place in the SEC. What East? Vanderbilt's like one of the only teams that we just feel like, all right, this is where they're going to be. Not a lot of discussion there. The fact that we're talking about this list and that the University of Tennessee is 48th in the nation and and 12th in the SEC, one of the worst three teams. And like, it's not even, it doesn't even create, like, I don't even bat an eye at that. Like, that's a statement about Tennessee, if nothing else. But like, that's not even controversial to me. I see that and I go, yeah, that's about right. Mm Mm-hmm. And in Athlon, I will say this, Athlon agrees with with uh, ESPN in that one, in that department. Without giving anything away, and I don't really know how much you're allowed to tell me, but can Not you much. just can you just tell me what which team you and Steven argued over the most? It doesn't have to be at the very top because I have a guess about that. But um, it, it was about fifth place. It was a it, like, and it's not fifth place in like the East or the West, but just it's overall national rankings. Yeah. yeah. And I would say the LSU Auburn Ole Miss trio in the, in the West was the most difficult decision because it's pretty clear that Bama and A&M are the top two. And I think it, I thought it was pretty clear that Mississippi state and Arkansas were the bottom two. The biggest debate in the East is Kentucky versus Missouri for third place in the East Mm -hmm. and all five of those teams are competing for fifth place in the league. Those five Mm -hmm. teams are, are about even to me. So those five teams are the most difficult for us to pinpoint. Was there one criteria that kind of pushed you over the edge? Uh, We haven't finalized it yet. So we're still, we're still arguing, but you know, to your question about how does it look like we'll have a meeting, we'll set a list, we'll have another meeting. We'll do some more research. We'll come back and argue about it. I'll send him an email and say, you know what? I think George is a lot closer to Bama than we think. And here's my reasons why, like here's the the two or mm-hmm. three bullets. And then he'll spend some time thinking about it. And then he'll come back to me with an email. And then we'll have another meeting where we discuss all these different things with time to sort of let things sit and digest. And it's not just like we sit down and do it all in one meeting or whatever, you know, it's probably good to have that much Steven Lassen in your life. Um, yeah. When you have to deal with me once a week, especially or more because he's a lot, a lot nicer to you. Well, just a lot of, he's a lot nicer to everybody because you're just mean, <laughs> you're just mean to everybody. No, I'm not. Uh, he's also, he's also like conflict averse. Like he would rather be, he would rather tell you like, yes, I agree with you. I think the second best quarterback at Missouri is this guy. And he just would rather just agree with you than, than have any conflict at all in his life. Steven Lassen, yeah. by the way, is our former co your former coworker, Mm-hmm. my current coworker and basically the driving engine and force behind the Athlon Sports College Football Preview magazines currently a walking encyclopedia of a human yes, yes he is um all right so i don't know check out the list if you guys want to tweet us what you think that's fine i can't believe mississippi state's the eighth best team in america like i just can't i can't do that 
Um, all right, let's get into to quickly some scouting. And we had a chance to have a, a really fun conversation with Matt Miller on Lamestream Sports, another podcast on this network about media. And he's a great, one of the best NFL scouts out there in the media working. He's now at ESPN, formerly of Bleacher Report, at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. And I asked him in that conversation, you know, how does the NFL, the scouting departments in the NFL, how do they view the SEC? Do they view them differently? And this was his answer. Do scouts talk about the SEC differently? Yes. than they do the other leagues explain yes. that that dynamic so when scouting what you want is the best players versus the best players makes our job the easiest so lsu versus alabama 2019 i'm still watching that game because there were so many prospects in it or you know uh, ohio state alabama this year you want that you want the the best versus the best right so that you can evaluate like let me see jamar chase against patrick sertan let me see Jamar Chase against, you know, the practice tape at LSU would be amazing with Chase against Stingley. But let's see Devontae Smith against, you know, against a Derek Stingley. Let's see him against a Kelvin Joseph. So that's what makes it the SEC fun. We did a wide receiver show the other day on ESPN, and my top six receivers were from the SEC. It was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, but that's just how it is. There's so much talent there right now. You know, Nick Saban's running a program that I don't think we'll ever see topped what he's been able to do there. But then you have, you know, an LSU will come along every year or every couple of years and be great. You know, Auburn has had some years. Florida has had some years and they're they're only getting better down there under Dan Mullen. So Georgia has had a hell of a run. So that's what makes the SEC fun is, you know, Vanderbilt can play Missouri and there's going to be six draft prospects out there. So like that's the other thing about the SEC is like no matter what team you're watching, there are draft prospects. You know, I live in Big 12 country. There are days where it's like Baylor, Texas Tech, and you're like, nope. Get them that one, you know, or like Kansas, Texas, you know, and I'm a Texas fan and it's like, there's, this is going to be tough to watch. Right. And so I think that's the fun thing about the SEC is like, you know, every, this job is like, ultimately it is watching football, but there are times where, you know, you have to watch a game. That's not going to be the most exciting thing in the world. That doesn't happen with the SEC because there's just way too much talent on the field. Well, I think that's pretty straightforward, Aaron. Um, <laughs> I would rather, you know, I'm going to watch Vanderbilt and Missouri and there's going to be six prospects I can watch. Sometimes I'll watch big 12 games and just go, eh, I'm not going to see anybody I need to see. And it's master of the obvious stuff here, but the SEC has won the NFL draft. I don't know, 15, 16 years in a row. They've had more players drafted and we can talk about the SEC attendance, television revenue, you know, coaching salaries, spending on recruiting budgets. Like we could talk about recruiting rankings. We could talk about a lot of stuff that the SEC just does better than everybody else. A lot of which is tied to commitment and and passion, but they just have better players than everybody else. And I, I don't know if it's much more complicated than that. They, they, as long as they've got the best players, they're just going to be a better conference. And that conversation kind of one thing that really stood out to me in, in Matt's interview um, that we can kind of connect these dots is if this year will be interesting in terms of, I believe the phrase he used was, what did he say, Braden? We say you, we're going to get the players, get the right player, hit on the players, but are we going to miss on the people? And I think that'll be really, really interesting to see how that kind of plays out on the other side of just, you know, the X and O's of, you know, the talent on the field, but um, is is the way that this year went down going to prove to be different because they didn't get these guys necessarily as much in-person time with them and will not having that kind of affect the dynamic of the team, you know, on a more intangible level than than um, just their playing abilities. Yeah, that was. I think that was a little bit later on in the interview, but definitely, I, I mean, I 100% agree. Go listen to that. He He absolutely said that. He said, nobody really missed on players. They missed on the people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Isaiah Wilson, of course, Georgia Bulldog, who went, came to Nashville and, and played for Tennessee or didn't play for Tennessee, I should say. I mean, it is a great question. Like the OTAs right now in the NFL, they're, they're basically boycotting and striking because they don't think they need to do them. I don't think the NFL was, was any worse last year because everything was virtual. I do think college football, we saw an effect in the SEC in particular or, or everywhere where defenses were so far behind mm -hmm. and offenses can practice seven on seven and practice against air and practice with rhythm and practice timing. 
we talked about this on the show last fall. Like mm-hmm. you can't practice, you can't practice shooting your hands and standing up a 300 pound pulling guard to like make a tackle on a running back, unless you're actually doing that. So I don't, I, I think you can do it in the NFL, get rid of these OTAs and these spring things that they do, which start up in a couple of weeks. I don't, I think spring practice is, you know, 18, 19 year old, 20 year old kids. I think you have to have spring practice to develop these guys. And not only are they younger, they're essentially children and not adult professionals, but the talent level is so much obviously on a completely different level all across the board and professional football. So I feel like individual talent in the NFL can make up for some of this chemistry and dynamics that have to happen in spring practice. Whereas a lot of times there's more holes in college football, naturally. So that the, the individual talent that exists on those teams can't be the glue all by itself. They have to have that practice time together. They have to have that chemistry. They have to understand tempo and they're already a lot of them playing at a level they've never played at before. Um, and, and so it's, it's just a totally different ball game. It just doesn't work the same. You're right. Well, and, and on top of all of that, what, what we would have been saying at this time last year was who's going to make it through this pandemic thing the best. It's not going to be the teams with the most experience, although that helps. It's the teams with the most sort of like self-motivated accountability. And that's mm-hmm. like, it's about culture. And that, that's why I like a team like Kentucky this year, because I think they've got a, an identity. A, there's stability there. There's a brand, there's a culture there with Mark Stoops at Kentucky. That's why I think LSU could be hurt by the fact that, you know, like that they clearly were hurt by the fact that they didn't have continuity with the pandemic last year, right? Like that had to be a mm-hmm. part of the equation. So I, I don't, I don't think college football ever gets to the point where it's kind of like the NFL, where they just keep removing practices and removing OTAs and removing development times. Cause I think young, young 18, 19 year old kids need that. Mm-hmm. But I still think culture wins the day. You know, what is it? Culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Is that the old saying? I believe that's it. And it also makes me think of something that Derek Mason had hung in the war room or their big meeting room at Vanderbilt was something to the extent of um, if you recruit the wrong, if you recruit the wrong players, they will beat you every single day, something like that. Like those, those things will continue to haunt you. If you can't put people in place that match your culture that lay outside of that. And a lot of times that's, you know, is there, yep is the ego in check. And if, in you know, what does the accountability look like and teams that have accountability on and off the field, both culturally and, you know, work ethic wise are teams like Alabama. Um, that yeah, I mean, they've, they've got get the, it all right. Yeah. And they've got the best players too, but like, you're right. It's, it's all about accountability and sacrifice for each other. And, you know, all that, all the cliches of leadership and. You Which know, is but, where LSU tends to, we, a lot of times see, accountability on the field and and not always off the field um we saw several examples of that last fall and that probably trickles down from the top i mean tennessee's not any different right like dumpster fire behind the scenes and now they've got a new coach because of it so i don't think there's any there's any question about that it's you know jimbo fisher dan mullen these guys are stable and they've got culture and they've got identity and they're gonna have success this year i think i think that's why i like kentucky so we'll we'll see and and frankly the questions about the new guys both last year and this year you know, Eli Drinkwitz, if it's established and it's actually there and it's real in one year, well, then it'll it'll play itself out this year. And we'll see Missouri be much better than I think people think. And, and we'll talk a little bit about Missouri with with Blake Topmeyer as well today on the show. Um, all right. Before we get to him, let, let's quickly. Are we going to put something on the line? Vanderbilt got its ass kicked on the baseball field this past weekend by by Georgia, the number one team in the nation. Tennessee won its six straight series and our alma maters in baseball are both top five and they're playing this weekend. Are we going to put something on the line? What are you thinking? I mean, yeah, of course I will. I have a lot of faith, but right. Your team's going to win. What do you have in mind? (laughs) Um, They probably are. I I would like to see you at Jasper's singing Rocky top while standing on the bar on like, I don't know, Instagram live or something. Mm. I don't want to do that at all. Well, there, there's a good reason for it to be a part of the, the bet. How confident are you that the Vanderbilt Commodores, who are dominant and better than Tennessee, are going to beat Tennessee this weekend? Because I'm not confident that Tennessee wins at all. I think they win I'm, zero games. I'm very confident Vanderbilt pulls it off. We do have a, They do have a lot of guys hurt right now. The last time we dropped an SEC series before this was in College Station at Texas A&M, which was one of 
the most eye-opening experiences I've ever had in terms of how crazy baseball fans really can be. Um, but that blue, normally, that Bluebell Bluebell Field, I think. Is that right? I don't know, but I'm never going back. It was, was like terrible. 2019. Yeah. yeah, and we lost. We dropped two in that series, and I swear, I'll have to tell these stories a different time. But overall, it reminds me of the clock from Shrek when they're like. Welcome to do luck. It's a perfect talent. And they're like clapping. That's what they are to me. I was terrified. Somebody had a Commodore like. That's hilarious. In a very like dangerous, vulnerable position. It just a doll of one. I mean, everything scary you could think of happened. But normally Vanderbilt tends to learn from those mistakes and lock it up pretty quickly. We do have a lot of young guys playing, but I'm still confident that we can pull it off. I do not want to sing Rocky Top on the bar. I'm not getting on the bar, but I'll sing it. Okay. If we lose. okay. And then right. you have well, I mean, to now, now you have to tone it way down for me on this. Like I'll, you can take a picture of me wearing a Vanderbilt shirt, throwing up anchor down. How about that? And post no, it. that's not even, that's not even that's good at all. That's close. I'm going to ask the Twitter machine. Okay. What we I'll, should have you do. I will wear a Vanderbilt polo. No, you don't get to pick this. I'm just trying to come up with something that's similar. Yeah, that's but all. it's not going to be you wearing a polo. It's going to have to be more embarrassing than that. If you want me to sing Rocky top, they're at, not at a e bar they're not even though like i'll they're not even. i understand they're not even but a polo is not even close what if i'm throwing up anchor downs and wearing a sh i'm trying to just come up with like ways to pr promote and support vanderbilt that's all you're not picking this okay. twitter's gonna pick it okay okay all right well when you figured it out let me know and i'll tell okay. you if it, i'll tell you if i agree or not okay and you have to hit sing every word to i don't song. know the words but well we'll practice i'm gonna that'll be blackmail against me for the rest of my life no, it's, it's fine. It's all in the sake of content to make the show better. That's all. Okay. Tweet at the Aaron Dugan. Tweet at Braden Gall. Ideas for me to to wager if Tennessee when Tennessee loses, because I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do the my end of the bet here. Okay, like it's just gonna happen. It's, it's not gonna be you. It's gonna it's be in me. Knoxville. I mean, it's probably gonna be a battle. Uh, if Tennessee takes a game, I'll be surprised. So we'll see. Uh, Friday all right, we'll and take Saturday would be tough. We'll take a quick, yes, I believe that's uh, when rocker and lighter pitch. Um, I will be, uh, we will be, we will be right back. We'll take a quick pause. And when we do come back, you're going to hear from Blake Topmeyer, the new USA Today columnist about the SEC. He gets to cover the entire conference just like us. And it's, uh, we had a really good conversation with him. So stay tuned for that when we come back. Fringe Element is brought to you by jaspers the next evolution of the sports bar some people are saying <laughs> how do you always say some people are saying after many people are saying Most that, it's people. The, that it's the next evolution of the sports bar it's on west end in downtown nashville there is free parking the menu is spectacular the bar is great the happy hour four to six every single day and during preds games you can get really good food for an affordable price at like a laid-back chill atmosphere and watch a game and have a cocktail it's great what's not to like about all of that Everything is to like about it. And I have conjured up a very specific conversation that I want to have inspired by the sweet potato barbecue fries at Jasper's. I am a French fry and ranch connoisseur. I love those two things more than I love a lot of things. And Jasper's does, well, there's more like an avocado crema that comes with their fries, but it's amazing. Those fries are awesome. And so I started thinking and I can't take full credit for this idea, but I started thinking about what the best fries would be in each SEC city. And the person that I alluded to earlier in the episode that I said I shared ranch with, which for me is a big deal, Whoa. helped me come up with this idea. I know it's just- Wait, 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 hang on, hang on. Next level. <clears throat> hang on. Excuse oh. me, excuse me. Oh. I'm, I'm verklempt. Okay. So you shared your ranch with him and he helped you come up with the concept for your podcast too? He did come up with the idea about the best fries in each city. Okay. You know? Well, did you figure it out? Yeah. Because obviously Jasper's is number one in Nashville. Right. I checked, did personal, reached out personally to someone at each SEC school. Braden, you can weigh in on this. I'm just going to start with the East and I'm just going to go down. Go you, for if it. If you feel you. otherwise, please respond on Twitter. Not you, but everybody else. Um, Georgia, the grill. I didn't even text anyone about this. They are the best fries in Athens. Fries and feta at the grill in Georgia. Can't beat it. Great late night post game drunk food. Moving on. Kentucky. I don't know why it's not tally ho. Someone said totally ho. T O L L Y ho. Bacon and cheese fries. Don't know anything about them. Never had them. 
moving on. Florida didn't get <laughs> a lot of Florida. I had I heard the top. I guess that's a restaurant. Sweet yep. potato fries yep. again have not had. South Carolina. I got Polly's front porch sweet potato fries. Gus's Tennessee. Do you, you should have an opinion? Oh about this. yeah yeah yeah. Gus is good time for sure. Okay. Yep. Obviously, we already did Nashville. Um, Mizzou women's soccer team. My friend Kelsey's on the soccer team. She said Stadium Grill for okay. burgers and for fries. Okay. I've, heard, I've heard about I've heard about Stadium. Moving on to the West Alabama, there was a couple people that felt so passionate they felt the need to send me pictures of what the fries looked like. <laughs> this is one of them. My friend Maggie said Quick Grill, and I got that answer a lot of times. The quality of the ranch was way up there and a deciding factor. LSU, you can speak to this too, Braden. You've been to Baton Rouge a lot. Yeah. I got Raul's and George's and walk-ons. Walk-ons is really good. I've been to walk-ons, but they have like a blackened alligator at walk-ons. That's really, really good. Um, mm -hmm. The problem with Baton Rouge is that when you go to Baton Rouge, like I'm not looking to eat French fries. Now there's a lot of good, right? like you eat a po' boy with like mixed with fries. Like the Chimes has really good French fries, I think. I heard um, that too. Uh, they've got good fries. Uh, po' boy Lloyd's has got good fries because again, it's about the sandwich. You have to have the right vibe for that. And Otherwise, when I go to Baton Rouge, I'm going to like oyster houses because I'm trying mm -hmm. to eat as many oysters as possible. So it's almost like when you get a desperate situation right before a game, you're like, oh, no, I'm about to keep drinking and I haven't eaten like right. where yeah. around here. This is um, an ad for Jasper's, by the way, in Nashville, a restaurant. Yeah, but just in inspired by fries. Yes. I love fries yep. and I love Jasper's and I love Jasper's fries. Texas A&M grub truffle fries. I actually got yep. that answer for both yep. Arkansas and Fayetteville. I guess it's a chain and Texas A&M College Station. So yep. that's whatever. A good, that's a good call. Mississippi State, Ben 612 or Ben 612. Everybody, have, that was like the overarching winner. I have not been. Oh, but I'm yeah. Auburn. Yeah. Um, I got the Hound and Sheila C's Burger Hound, Barn. Hound 100%. I love the Hound. Uh, mm, I, like I got a strong C Sheila C's. Have you been there? I have not been there, but I've been to Acre and I, I love I love Auburn food. So okay. I'll sign up for Auburn food anytime. Ole Miss, last one, because um, I already did Arkansas, would be Obie's Rotel Fries. There's also one in Starkville, but I have had them and they're delicious. And you would put Jasper's sweet potato fries with pulled pork and ancho cherry barbecue sauce on, on top with against all of these that you've had? I'd say that the only thing that comes close is fries and feta. And I don't know if that's because of my drinking level in Athens or yeah, because they were yeah. actually as good feta and fries or whatever. But no, no I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely taking Jasper's. I eat those like once a week. Can, can we give recommendations to Jasper's? Is that allowed in the ads? Use the Ooh. ad to ask for Jasper's. I mean, we asked for a cocktail for Aaron. So why can't we do this? Well, that hasn't so, happened yet. Here, here's what I want from Deb, because I invented this, just, just me, and my wife gives me credit for it. Okay. Which is Dijon mustard and ranch mixed together as a dipping sauce. Really? For almost anything. Sandwiches, French fries, burgers, you name it. And she, like, I have always put Dijon mustard, like Grey Poupon with like ranch, mixed them together. And that is like what I dip my hamburgers and French fries in. And she's, huh. she's obsessed I'm, with it. I'm totally willing to try it. I think you should. And I think, I think Deb needs to, you know, maybe take some notes, Deb Paquette. Okay. I mixed Grey Poupon and ranch together. What did you do? Go to Jasper's. They have great food, a great happy hour, a great bar, a great parking lot. Go to Jasper's, everybody. It's a wonderful place to eat. Deb Paquette did the menu. She's amazing. There's really no downside. Go to Jasper's. It's fantastic. Can you people go there already for, for crying out loud, please? Okay. I know. We'll go with you. Just let us know when. Blake, first of all, man, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. We do enjoy, uh, we do appreciate it. How are you? Good to talk to you. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the opportunity. So you have moved to the SEC beat as a conference now um, after covering Tennessee for a long time. And I guess my, my question for you in general is now that you've changed roles and you are now writing to cover the entire league, what, what is it you are most looking forward to writing about, covering, talking about in a, in a new role where you get to sort of branch out beyond just a singular team? What are you most looking forward to this year? I think a couple things. One, I certainly relish the opportunity to, to hold decision makers accountable you know, hold people in power accountable for, for their decisions. I think that's that's one thing I tried to focus on while on the Tennessee beat. And I think this this SEC columnist role gives me an opportunity to do that, not only on Tennessee, but but a platform to, to do that throughout the conference. And then two, I think it's it's an opportunity to, to tell fun stories, right? Um, you know, when you get in the trenches on the beat, you, you try to do what you can. Uh, when it comes to storytelling, but 
you know, the, the reality is sometimes you just, you get bogged down by the nuts and bolts and the day-to-day grind of, of being a beat writer. And, and so I think I, I'll enjoy the opportunity to, to stretch my legs a little bit and be able to, um, you know, have those opportunities to, to tell some good stories around the league. Like, did you have your eye on this job or a job like this for a long time? And, and when did you know, like in your childhood, that sports was going to be your trajectory and that you were going to go that way? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I think growing up, I knew I wanted to work in sports media. I'm a middle child and, and my older brother, we'd always play sports video games. But as being the younger brother, a lot of times he would play sports video games and I would just watch like he'd play in season mode against the computer. And so I'd just be watching, you know, I still thought it was cool hanging out with big brother. That didn't bother me too much. But what I would do is I'd pretend to be the play-by-play broadcaster uh, while he played the sports video games. And so like, you know, from an early age, I wanted to work in, in sports media and, and really the aspiration once I got into college was to, to be a beat writer for either professional sports or a major uh, division one program. And so I first got on a division one beat uh, at Missouri, uh, covered Missouri Tigers for the Columbia Tribune for several years before making the shift to, to Knoxville and covering the Vols for the past four seasons. And at some point, it was probably a couple of years ago, I started to evaluate, okay, now that I've been doing this as a beat writer for several years now, is this where I want to stay, um, you know, for the rest of my career? Or, or is there something I wouldn't mind shifting to? And uh, it was probably about two years ago that I started thinking about columnist opportunities and, uh, you know, weighing different options. This, this really was a, a great opportunity to stay with the, the USA Today Network to kind of grow my role with the company. And, uh, you know, really, like I said, just build on, on that, that accountability aspect of, of holding people in power accountable for their decisions. That's something you get an opportunity to do as a beat writer for sure. Uh, but I think you have even more of a chance to do that as a columnist. And, and that's, that's something I look forward to. You know, it's fascinating. I think if I were to ask that question to a hundred different people covering the SEC, you might get a hundred different answers. And I'm not sure the first answer for most people would be hold people accountable on, on our show. We don't have a problem diving into trans. I think transparency is one of the biggest issues in college athletics and, and COVID I think was a big part of that. What, what is it about that role especially in the SEC. I mean, like, are you writing about LSU first thing? Like, like right out of the gate, are we going to be writing about LSU? Because what is it about that aspect of the job that, that you feel is so important and why, I mean, certainly the SEC and college football writ large probably needs a lot more of it. Yeah, actually last week I wrote a column on, on Ed Ogeron. So yeah, coming out of the gates swinging, not, not, uh, not necessarily calling for, for Ed Ogeron's head or anything, but, but certainly, you know, I, I don't think he's, he's blameless in this situation. Um, there, there's a lot of people you know, there's plenty of blame to go around at LSU for, for their failure to adequately handle uh, allegations of, of sexual misconduct. But I, I certainly think in the case of Ed Ogeron, he's not sending a message of the buck stops here. He's sending a, a pass the buck message. You know, um, I think it's, it's easy to, to say that, that you didn't know all the details. Uh, well, when you're the, the most public and, and powerful and, and in some ways, maybe most powerful person at the state's most visible institution, if you want the details, you can get the details. So for him to say he didn't know all the details uh, of the allegation against Darius Geis in, in December 2017, uh, again, did you did you not know the details or did you not want to know the details? Um, but but getting back to your to your larger question, um, you know, I don't, I guess I I don't know exactly why that appeals to me um, because I. I mean, I love sports. I love celebrating sport. Um, you know, I'm a fan of, of sports, but I do think that, you know, covering sports is so much more than just being a fan. And, and you know, there, there deserves to be accountability uh, for, for people in power and, and all works of life. And I think, you know, when you look at, at college programs, these are, these are powerful institutions. These are highly paid, in many t- cases, state employees, you know, I think there deserves to be scrutiny on their decisions, whether that's small stuff, like who are you starting as starting quarterback on Saturday, or whether that, that be, uh, you know, big decisions, the, the big things within, within their control. 
you bring up, you know, just accountability and, you know, we're talking about what could be done, or maybe you have an answer to what you think could be done besides just having an air of transparency to help fix some of these issues. That same accountability, how do you see that affecting teams on the field this year? You know, obviously we were brought up LSU. Do you think that that disarray going on there, um, how does that affect the on-field game? And do you think it does? You know, I don't know how much it affects the, the on-field situation at LSU. I mean, anytime there's, you know, there, there's there's off-the-field matters being discussed, I think that can be, in some cases, a, a distraction. But, you know, some of the stuff we're, we're talking about at, at LSU is, is stuff that is, is years old, that happens, happened in some cases several years ago, but is just now coming to light. Um, and so in that case in particular, I don't know how much of a, of a distraction it'll be, but, but certainly, I guess, for the people in power at, at LSU, I, I don't think it's a, it's a narrative that is going to, to go away. And we see so many times in college football and in the SEC in particular that it doesn't take long to go from the penthouse to the outhouse. I mean, it was just it was like 15 months ago that LSU was on top of college football, on top of the college football world, celebrating a national championship. Um, but now they're coming off the heels of, of a five and five season. I do think they they stand to be much improved this year. They, they bring a lot of talent back, but you add in with a five and five season, um, you know, the coming to light of some of these missteps off the field. And again, I think it's just another reminder that, that it really doesn't take long in college football uh, to kind of go from from the top of the mountain uh, to tumbling down that hill. Number two on your list was to tell fun stories. And certainly the SEC, it's so serious sometimes. Like it, it, you have to sort of go find the fans or the weird angle. And that, that is certainly fun. But, but of the new coaches that you've got in the league, when you got Shane Beamer, Clark Lee, Josh Heupel, Brian Harson, who are you most looking forward to write about and covering as it pertains to sort of the new, the new faces in the league? I mean, maybe Brian Harson. I guess, you know, it, it was, you know, in some ways, maybe the most outside the box hire, I guess, of, of the four. Um, I think when you look at his resume, it's a hire that, that I would say on many fronts makes sense just on, based on what he's done uh, in terms of results, but but when you look at at his background, right? I mean, you have uh, I believe in, in Idaho native coaching in the Southeast, a guy that that uh, not only played it at Boise State but coached many years there at Boise State, and so you you do wonder like, is this guy going to be a, a fit in the SEC? I think he, you know, I think he could be. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be from the South to to be a success in in the SEC. Maybe of all of them, I think that's that's interesting to me because not only that, but like he has talent to work with at Auburn. I mean, you have a third year starting quarterback in, in Bo Nix that has not lived up to the expectations, but he's not a guy that I'm I'm ready yet to just write off as um, as being someone who's who's just a, a career long mediocre quarterback. I, I think Bo Nix could still be a really good SEC quarterback. He has. Um, you know, one of the best non-quarterback players in the SEC and, and Tank Bigsby. So I think there's talent to work with there. I think there's there's a track record of success there that that, that you like. Uh, and so of the four, I'd say maybe he's the one that, that I'm most intrigued by. But certainly I think Shane Beamer is kind of a, a fun story as well. As we look forward to this season, Blake, what do you think about the intrigue also of the quarterback battles? Obviously, you spent a lot of time around Tennessee, and there's one going on there. But um, speak to that. And then also, what other quarterback battles you see around the SEC that you find intriguing? Yeah, I think Tennessee does definitely have one of, if not the most interesting one, in that you have four legitimate contenders for the job. And, And I know a lot of times this time of year, like coaches say that, but it's just not really true. Um, you know, they'll, they'll say there's four, four contenders, but there's really not. But, but at Tennessee, I think there is because you have Hendon Hooker, I think is the favorite as the graduate transfer uh, from Vir- Virginia Tech, 15 game career starter. Uh, but then you have Harrison Bailey, who started some games last year as a freshman. Brian Maurer started some games in 2019. And then the newcomer, Caden Salter, a four-star recruit who actually hasn't practiced this spring because he's serving in an indefinite suspension. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's near the top of the list. I, I, I do think 
Hendon Hooker probably will will win that job. Uh, I mean, you look at at LSU. I mean, again, I think there's a lot of talent there that's that's returning. Uh, I wonder can they find the quarterback to to capitalize on that? You know, uh, and, and I don't know who is that. I don't think we know yet at LSU whether that's Miles Brennan, whether that's Max Johnson, and just how high of a caliber can that reach? I mean, at Florida. I'm interested too, because we've seen some of Emory Jones over the last couple of years, but it hasn't been in the, <laughs> in the lead dog role. And the challenge and the pressure is much different for a quarterback when you're just coming in there playing five to 10 snaps in a game. And there's a certain challenge that comes with that too, because, you know, you have to be ready at a, at a moment's notice. You come in for a couple of plays, it's hard to get in a rhythm, but it, but it's an altogether different hurdle to be the guy. And, and can he be the guy? Can he, can he keep Florida humming at the level they were under Kyle Trask? I mean, I wouldn't bet against Dan Mullen's ability to, <laughs> to develop quarterbacks for sure. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say Amory Jones can't be that guy. I think he can be. I think he can be one of the better quarterbacks in this league. But it, it is one of the quarterback situations that I would say I'm, I'm definitely more interested to watch. So you came into the the league covering Missouri, and I think it's one of the only places that Aaron and I have like not been to uh, of all the different cities in the SEC. I think I've been to every single one except for Columbia. And and when you go to an SEC town, like you can just sort of feel the charm and the vibe that you're in an SEC town. Can you explain what Columbia, Missouri is like in general? Just the the general vibes for for what that place is like. And am I crazy for thinking that that Eli Drinkowitz and his sort of swag and Connor Bazelak and his talent? that that Missouri team is actually a legitimate, interesting team to track this season and could challenge Florida for that top tier in Georgia, maybe in that top tier in the East. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to put them in the top tier, but I agree with you. Like Missouri's a team that I think is frequently undervalued and, and I sort of get it. I mean, they're still seen in some ways as the newcomer to the league. Um, I think there's still some belief around the league. Like does Missouri even fit in with this, this conference? Are they a geographic outlier? Etc. But the fact is, yeah, I mean, I think Missouri has proven that they can at least be in that that middle tier behind uh, the, the Georgia Florida combination. And I, you know, I, I hesitate to to lock myself into a preseason pecking order that I'm that I'm gonna do for preseason rankings here. But I think at this juncture, as it stands here in, in April, I'd be pretty tempted to put Missouri uh, as third in the East behind Georgia Florida. You know, Eli Drinkwitz is interesting because he's like, he's like this chesty, nerdy accountant type guy. You know, you look at the guy and it's like, this guy's a football coach. You know, if you saw him walk down the street, like you probably wouldn't pick him out of the lineup to be an SEC football coach. But, um, but then you listen to him and it's like, yeah, the guy has some, some swagger. And, and certainly in year one at Missouri, I think he, I think he turned some heads uh, as far as the town itself. I don't know that it feels like an SEC town. I mean, it, it still feels more Big 12-ish, Big 10-ish to me. But I do think Columbia Mo has a lot of charm to it. I think it's a little bit of an underrated SEC town. I, I think it, it punches a little bit above its weight. I think for most SEC fans, if you ask them what they think of Columbia, either A, they haven't been there, but the B, the ones that have, think like one of two things usually. It's like it's so far away or it's really cold. Um, and it's like, well, part the cold thing maybe depends on when you play them. Like for covering Tennessee the last few years, uh, Tennessee played them in, in November and, and it was cold. Like every time Tennessee went to Columbia, it seems like it's, it's always been cold. Of course, it, it is far away, but like I don't hold that against the city. Like it is what it is. It's just a geographic outlier. I, I think it's, it's definitely kind of got a, a bit of a charm to it uh, as, a, as a college town. Blake, this is a little bit less like a little off the beaten path of que- in terms of questions, but Braden named this podcast Fringe Element just based on that crazy group of people that takes it a little bit too far. Just the people that are right on the cusp of like, you've gone too far, you're a little bit too crazy, eat, sleep, breathe, SEC football. What is your craziest story where you were like, wow, this is next level fandom? Do you have one that sticks out? <sighs> Boy, um, yeah, covering Tennessee, you bump <laughs> into that from time to time. And I will say, like, to stand up for Tennessee fans a little bit here, like, what I found in my four seasons covering Tennessee, like, 
Vol Twitter and then Vol's fans are like two different things. Um, like Vol Twitter has this reputation of just oftentimes being over the top. They can be sometimes kind of nasty and, and unrealistic and just a little bit too much at times. Um, but then like Vol's fans are this separate category of, yes, really, really passionate fans, but really likable people as well. And, and so, you know, I, I enjoy Tennessee fans. Vol Twitter, uh, some days I enjoy them, some days not so much. But uh, yeah, for like a specific example, I think there was like two years ago where I wrote like this, this totally, what I thought was a fairly just kind of innocuous story that I didn't feel like was going to light a fire with all that many people. It was about how Tennessee was kind of bragging up their, their strength and conditioning program and, and talking about how, you know, that was, that was making a big change in the program, which is just a total off season narrative. Like every year, everywhere in the country, it's like, Oh, I got a new strength coach. Like this big changes are coming. It's like, come on. Like, I mean, if that was the case, like Iowa would have been winning national championships, right? Like they had the highest paid strength coach for however many years. So at the end of the day, um, I think strength coaches just have this marketing campaign um, <laughs> that they're like the second most important person in, in the program behind the head coach. But anyway, I digress. Um, so Tennessee had this narrative that, that their strength coach was making all these big changes. And I wrote this story uh, just basically looking at the size of the average player on Tennessee's roster. And there really wasn't much change from the previous strength coach to the, the current strength coach. And I didn't think it was a story that was going to strike a nerve with that many people, but my goodness, like the blowback um, <laughs> from Vol Twitter on that one, it was like, you know, I, I dared come at the strength coach, the almighty strength coach, the guy that, that teaches people how to lift weights. You know, I challenged that he wasn't making, you know, a, a massive, massive difference in this program. And uh, I definitely struck a nerve uh, with folks there. How dare you come after the strength coach? You, you, you don't do that. No, Scott, Scott Cochran will have you uh, deadlifting cars at the end of that conversation. <laughs> Am I crazy to think that Georgia is absolutely capable of beating Alabama in the SEC title game? Like Kirby Smart has to break through at some point. And if you're going to do it, their schedule is, it seems almost too easy inside the conference this year. I know they got Clemson at the beginning of the year, but that's not a, you know, that's not a game that's going to matter in this conversation. It may matter to the committee, but I look at the pieces coming back and I know Bama's Bama. I got it. But it, it feels like this, this Georgia team, I, I almost feel like even though they're preseason top 10 by almost everybody already, that, that they're almost still undervalued this year. Am I crazy to think that this actually could be the year they break through? No, I was thinking about that earlier today, and I, I, I almost went on, I almost went out on a limb and and said that yeah, I think this is going to be the year that they break through. But then I'm like, nope, still need to see it, still need to see it. <laughs> Haven't seen it yet, and and like I've kind of been critical a little bit in the in the past of of how Kirby Smart has has handled the quarterback situation. I, I think you know we all are uh, of of Kirby's quarterback development, and that's like the missing piece, but. You know, you look at it this year with with JT Daniels. It's like, okay, I I think I think the pieces are there. I think he has the quarterback. Now, what does Kirby do with it? Because that's like the final step for me for for Georgia uh, of breaking through that ceiling is is the quarterback element. And I I think when you look around the SEC, I think Georgia has someone who's I would say certainly among I guess I would say probably the best top three or four quarterbacks in the conference. And so when you have the, when you combine that with the rest of their, their talent. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think on paper, this is the year they, they could and maybe should break through, but still, I just, I have that hesitancy and, you know, I think we all are going to kind of default back to Alabama because it's Alabama. Um, and they too are well-stocked at, at quarterback and, um, you know, certainly I think there's some question there of, you know, is Bryce Young going to going to be ready for the expectations? I think he is. Um, is he going to emerge as as a true Heisman contender? I think he is. But yeah, I mean, I think there's some question until you see it. But but I also just with Georgia, I, I want to see it. You know, I, I want to see them put it all together, particularly at the quarterback position. We just haven't seen that yet. And, and to me, that's the knock on him. That's that's the area where you wonder, like, 
is Florida is Florida as well, if not position better long term than Georgia because of Dan Mullen's track record in developing quarterbacks? Like, I want to know what you think about when ESPN dropped their power rankings. I was surprised to see Mississippi State at eighth. Do you think that's high? Do you think there's a lot of hype behind this team? Do you love them that much? Because I was a little, frankly, a little bit shocked. I hadn't seen that. So Mississippi State was eighth in ESPN's power rankings in the SEC? Not in the SEC, Blake. Overall. In the country. Mississippi State was eighth in the country? Yep. Oh, mercy. your Your face says it all. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say like eighth in the SEC, maybe, maybe. I could, maybe I could make that argument eighth in the country. Boy, that that seems awfully bullish. Yes, I I would not I would not think to put Mississippi State there. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking even in the West, where would I where would I slot Mississippi State? I think I think I'd probably slot Mississippi State behind Ole Miss uh, in the in the top Meyer power rankings. Uh, for the SEC West, I, I think I would have Mississippi State put them above Arkansas, I think. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. And, and so for the country, yeah, that that seems awfully high to me. I'd be curious to know more what, what that's based on. Is that, <laughs> it's the hidden it's the hidden calculator computer does, machine that they don't they don't show anybody, you know? It does yeah. make you want to know more about the algorithm a the little FBI. bit. Right. Exactly. So bulldogish, you should say, uh, is what For it sure. sounds like. Uh, Blake, yeah, al- always a pleasure, man. We'll end on that terrible dad joke. Uh, always a pleasure, bud. Uh, good <laughs> so to bad. talk to you, man. And um, congratulations on the new role and and enjoy holding people accountable. I think we need a lot more people in the SEC doing that for for programs, athletic directors, you know, the conference office, all that good stuff. Get us some more transparency. All right, bud. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Blake. That was Blake Topmeyer of USA Today, of course, goes from covering Missouri to Tennessee and now covering the entire SEC. And I did think it was interesting that the first thing out of his mouth when you asked him, you know, when we asked him, like, what are you looking forward to doing? He's like, I want to hold people accountable. It's like, that's not a normal answer. Most people are like, I want to watch Bryce Young play football. It's a great answer, though. I'm all for it. it. I know we both are. Yes, it, it really is. We're all about accountability and transparency to try to make our sport better, our, our favorite sport, SEC football, uh, a little bit better. Um, I had a lot of fun today, Aaron, talking to uh, uh, to Blake, and, and obviously congratulations to him on the new gig and um, just all kinds of cool stuff here. Matt Miller giving us a quick uh, shout out there for scouting in, in the SEC and arguing about computer-generated ranking indexes in April. What, what could be more fun <laughs> than that? You know, what could be more fun than that? It is. It's about as, it's about as cheeky as our relationship. Yes, it's about as friendly as it gets right there for the two of us. Has anyone ever referred to you as a chesty, nerdy, what did he say? What was the other? going to be weird. What was the other word he used to describe you like Drinkowitz? (laughs) Accountant? Accountant, that's what it was. I think that's what it was. I've probably gotten described as a couple of those. But not accountant? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. All right, well, special thanks to Blake for joining us and, of course, People, where do you go to watch sporting events in Nashville? Where do you go? Jaspers. You go to Jaspers. You absolutely do. Go to Jaspers. Great parking, great bar, great menu. Atop the Nashville French fry game as well. I I tend to agree with you. I I have not been to every town in the SEC and all of the different places that have French fries, which I'm sure there are a a bunch of them. I don't know how many of them have pulled pork on top, you know? Um, not many. Couldn't be. Couldn't be many. That's exactly right. Go to Jasper's. It'll be a great time. Is that a good, good tagline for them? I feel like you could do better. Should I try right now or should I try next week? I mean, I would try now, but there's no time like the present. (laughs) Go to Jasper's where everything is great. Go to Jasper's where everything is awesome. I'm so glad you don't do marketing for anyone except maybe yourself. No one has to do marketing right off the top of their head. That's why they have meetings and like PowerPoint presentations and such and things like that. You have to be good in a brainstorming session. Right. But brainstorming session by definition means I get to throw away a lot of ideas too. Well, you would definitely be doing that if you're throwing these out. Cool. Give me one better right now. Go. 
Jaspers, where the food is hot and the people are hotter. <laughs> yeah, totally better. Totally better. Go to Jaspers. The parking is great and the menu is great and the people are hotter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Where can people find you, Aaron? Um, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram, the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. There you have it. Please follow the company as well at 440 Sports on Facebook and Twitter at 440 Media on Instagram as well. Check out all the other shows. We got Club and Country now, brand new soccer show covering Nashville SC as they get their season started this weekend, by the way. Lamestream Sports, of course. Uh, Chris Massaro, the athletic director for MTSU, is going to be on that episode this week on Friday. Both great shows, both of those. What, what was the other? Isn't there one more? <clears throat> yeah, and you're going to have something cheeky to say, I'm sure. Uh, the Gold Standard, which you can buy as a cocktail at Jasper's, is our National Predators podcast with the great Adam Vingan. The Gold Standard, where the content is silver and the hosts are bronze. That was pretty good. Thank you. Did you plan that one all week? No, it just came up right then, and I was excited about it because I that yeah, I could, is good thinking on your feet. Yeah, you were like smiling before I even set you up for mm-hmm. it. I, I yep. could tell you were like, oh, I got something here. I did. All right. So listen hate to the, tweet at Adam Vingen or whatever his Twitter handle is. Listen to the bronze standard uh, right here on the 440 <laughs> Sports Network. Thank you guys all for listening. Thanks to Blake Topmeyer as well. Uh, her name's Aaron Dugan. Follow her, and you can follow me at Braden Gall as well. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network.